0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Pastor Scott shares his message, The Doctrine of Baptisms. I want to talk for a few minutes about the doctrine of baptisms. It should be plural, baptisms, doctrine of baptisms. And uh, I want to start by the definition of baptism, then we'll get back to the doctrine of baptisms. Okay, so the definition of baptism. You know, we can settle quite a bit of controversy when it comes to sprinkling versus full immersion by just looking at the language of the Bible, Greek. And the word baptism comes from a Greek verb, bapto, which means to whelm or to cover completely with a fluid. So there's evidence there that baptism should be full immersion. Okay, But there's more. You can go to the Bible and find some examples of uh, baptisms that lend credence to the full immersion. And so if you go to John 3.23, I don't have a slide for it, but if you go to John 3.23, you see that John the Baptist chose a place called Anon to baptize the masses because there was much water there. They so recognized if you're going to baptize the masses, you're going to need a lot of water because you've got to get all these people under fully immersed. Amen? In Acts chapter 8, Philip, when he met the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza, they had to find a place where water was plentiful in order that he could be baptized. And I really love this story. I want to give you a little background Then we're going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 8. Philip, who was a deacon, got promoted to be an evangelist. And I don't know where he was when he received these orders, probably Jerusalem, but it says an angel appeared to him and told him to go down the road to Gaza, the desert road to Gaza, which is where Goliath was from, in case you are historical Bible buffs. And so he did. Out of obedience, he just went down the road to Gaza on foot, and eventually he caught up with a chariot, which was traveling on the road in the same direction. And he saw an Ethiopian in that chariot and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. He had the scroll of Isaiah and he was reading it out loud evidently because uh, Philip recognized what he was reading. And it says the Holy Spirit said to Philip, join yourself to the chariot. In other words, jump up there, make yourself at home, you know. So he got up there and... Jumped into the chariot with the Ethiopian, which would have been pretty surprising to have a stranger off the desert road (laughs) just jump on your chariot. And he said, you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? And he asked him a couple of questions and, and Philip began at that point in Isaiah to preach Jesus to him. Okay. So that's the background of these three verses. And I just, I just love this. There's so much in this story. We cannot go into it all this morning. Acts 8, 36 to 38, New King James. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. You got to know on a desert road, water was not plentiful. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I love that. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch, note note this phrase here, went down into the water, and he baptized him. I want to back up for just a minute to verse 37. I want to read it again. He asked, We've got water now. Is there anything that would prevent me from getting baptized? Philip said, "If you believe with all your heart, you may." And he answered and said, "I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God." So I want to set this out I want to put this out here right off the bat since we're talking about baptism. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you have not been born again, if you have not professed your faith in Him as Lord and Savior, you got no business being baptized. Because that water is not going to do anything for you if something hasn't happened to you on the inside. Baptism is all about a prophetic picture, a symbolic picture of what happened to you on the inside. Amen? You were buried with Him in the waters of death, but you were raised with Him in newness of life. Amen? So, if you were to come with us today and say, I just want to be baptized and you weren't born again, you never said yes to Jesus, you would essentially go down a dry center and come up a wet center. Because the baptism in and of itself can't help you. Amen? Now, I am one that does believe that when you perform baptisms, you know... You can open the door for miraculous things to happen because you're being obedient to the Lord. And I'll say another thing, probably ahead of myself here, but that's the other thing. You you asked me, well, why do I need to be baptized? I was sprinkled when I was a child. Well, so was I. I grew up Episcopal. And when I got saved and filled with the Spirit at age uh, 17, I felt like I needed to get baptized again. Now, I put off my obedience for about, I don't know, I was after that initial prod by the Holy Spirit when I was 17. I was I was down in Corpus Christi flying uh, airplanes for the Marines as a flight instructor. And the Lord said, you know, it's been quite a few years since I asked you to be baptized. <laughs> and so I made arrangements and there was a group of people from our church and we went to the home of one of our members and we were all baptized in the pool. Amen? So... So what's the bottom line? What's the number 1 reason you need to be baptized? Because Jesus commanded it. Because he asked you to do it. And I am in the groove that if Jesus tells you to do something, you need to do it. You go over there in Matthew chapter 28, I believe it is. I can't remember the verse, but he said go into all the world. Jesus said this to his his followers. He said Go into the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's part of the Great Commission to get people baptized. It is important. It's an important statement to the community that your faith is now in Christ, that symbolically you have been buried with him in baptism into the waters of death, but now you've been risen again into newness of life. And you're publicly proclaiming that with your baptism so I want to make sure I cover all the bases when we get out there in the beach today and in the water the first thing I'm going to ask you is have you professed faith in Christ as Lord and Savior are you born again and based on your answer you're going to get dunked. if I don't get a good answer from you I'm going to send you back to the beach all right hallelujah hallelujah So let's get back to the doctrine of baptisms. Where does that phrase come from? Well, it comes from Hebrews chapter 6. Let's start at verse 1 and read down through verse 3. The writer of the Hebrews says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So in the midst of talking about some fundamental elementary principles that need to be taught to disciples of Christ, he mentions something called the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. And I submit to you when you first read this verse it should cue you to think, does that mean there's more than one kind of baptism? Why, yes, it does mean that. And we're going to explore that for a few minutes this morning. In fact, if you go through your New Testament, you'll find four types of baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. The baptism of John. Baptism in the name of Jesus, which is the one we're most concerned with this morning. Number three, baptism into the body of Christ. And number four, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shanda balachata. let put that on there. Amen. So let's go back one by one, and I'll show you in Scripture briefly where you find these baptisms and what they're all about. All right, so the baptism of John. Acts chapter 19, verse 4. New King James. Paul, in his journeys, encounters on the coast of Ephesus, 12 men. the Bible says they were disciples, but evidently they didn't know a whole lot. So Paul says to them in verse 4, he he opened up the discussion by saying, have you been filled with the Spirit since you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Sad to say, many churches today haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Or they've heard of Him, but they usher Him, back to the back room to take care of stuff back there where it won't scare people off. Amen. So Paul sets them right uh, and says, so how were you baptized? And they said, we received the baptism of John. So he knew where he was starting with, with these guys. And this is what he says here in verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So he makes it clear that John's baptism was unique to the nation of Israel, and it was calling them to repentance, to a radical change of lifestyle, so they could be ready when Jesus came. Amen? That's the baptism of repentance. It sometimes gets confused with baptism in the name of Jesus, but they're really two different baptisms. All right, number two, baptism in the name of Jesus. And some translations actually say into the name of Jesus. I like that because I'm one with him and he's one with me. Amen. When I got baptized, I got baptized into him. Amen. Acts 2.38. This is on the day of Pentecost. After all the uproar where 120 people started talking in tongues at the same time, they poured out of the upper room because everybody in the city was rushing to find out what was going on. And Peter seizes the moment and starts preaching to them. Amen. And they say, what must we do to be saved? Acts 2.38 was his answer. Then Peter said to them, repent. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So he's making a distinction there between the baptism of repentance and the baptism of remission. They're two different things. Jesus came to remit, to get rid of your sins. It's a different thing altogether, and that's what baptism in the name of Jesus, is all about. Everybody understand that. All right, number three. Baptism into the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, New King James. Paul tells the Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, there are people that don't believe in more than one kind of baptism who will tell you, right here it is in the Scripture, Ephesians 4, 5, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. They think that settles the argument. But they need to keep reading and find out what we're talking about here. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all by the Spirit. When you get born again, you get a brand new spirit on the inside of you that's righteous and holy as Jesus himself. And you become connected with every other brother or sister in Christ all over the world into the collective body of Christ by the Spirit of God. You, in a sense, get baptized into the body of Christ. You hear us talking about the body of Christ? It's a real simple concept. Jesus is the head. The head lives in heaven. We are the body, his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears, his mouthpiece. Amen. And we're all part of one collective body of Christ. I wish I could see that in the spirit one day. It must be a wonderful sight. Amen. You and I, if you're born again, if Jesus is your Lord, we are connected in a way that the world doesn't understand. All right. And finally, number four, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Mark says, he's talking about John the Baptist. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist And he ate locusts and wild honey. Anybody ever tried that? I haven't either. I like honey, but crusty bugs, I'd rather (laughs) go without. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Makes me want to go Pentecostal. These are not drunk as you suppose. They're just filled with the Holy Ghost. John Osteen used to say that all the time. Hallelujah. How many remember John Osteen? Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. All right, so we're not going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a teaching unto itself. But you see from the Bible that the doctrine of baptisms includes at least four types of baptism. And there's one I didn't mention, the baptism of fire, which we're not going to go into today. Unless, of course, you see fire on your head when you get baptized today. Then we might have to look into it. Hallelujah. So I want to talk for just a few minutes about the symbolic nature of baptism in the name of Jesus. Romans 6, 4, and 5 in the New King James. Paul says to the Romans, therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death you know, I say into the waters of death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Amen. That's what this baptism is a picture of. You were buried with Him into the waters of death but you've been raised again to newness of life. Amen. It even makes a reference to the likeness of His resurrection. You know, when you got born again, one-third of your being became wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. But you still have a soul and a body that you got to contend with. They're used to doing things the old way. And they're not used to doing things the way the new man wants to. I've said it many times, the challenge of the Christian life is getting what's inside you to manifest on the outside. Amen? I call it living life inside out. I wanted to say that the likeness of his resurrection is, is saying that you're even going to be raised to newness of life in body one day. Not only have you been raised to newness of life in your spirit, but there will come a day when you will get a new soul because you get a new body that has a new brain that operates God's ways. Oh my glory to God hallelujah. I just something about talking about your new body that just gets me excited. If you ever get depressed looking in the mirror, just remember, one day I'm going to have a brand new body and all flaws will be removed. It's therapeutic. You should try it. All right. Very similar language you find here in 1 Peter 3, the last part of verse 20 and all of verse 21 in the Passion Translation. This is awesome, awesome, awesome. For during the time of Noah, God patiently waited while the ark was being prepared, but only a few were brought safely through the flood waters, a total of eight souls. They were brought safely through the flood waters. I like to think about it like this. They were saved from the water by the water because they were in the ark, which is a type of being in Christ. They were protected. They were made to be above and not beneath. Amen. Hallelujah. So verse 21 says, this was a prophetic picture of the immersion that now saves you. Not a bathing of the physical body, but rather the response of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you have a good conscience toward God? The only way is through the born again experience. And so he says here, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I can put two and two together. And it says to me that it takes the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you to be born again. And I'll show that to you in the Scripture. In fact, both of these Scripture passages we just read end up talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, 1 Peter 1, 1.3, I'll show you in the Scripture that being born again is a byproduct of Jesus being raised from the dead. 1 Peter 1, 1.3, in the English Standard Version, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ,' According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Again, He mentions to a living hope. You hadn't just been born again. You've been born again to something. You've been born again to a living hope of a new body one day. Amen. It's all through the Scripture, but people don't read it and people don't teach it. Amen. I think it's one of the most glorious things in all the Bible that I got a new body that's waiting for me in heaven. Hallelujah. All right. So he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. This is a mind blower. We talked about this in the done deal series. Many mind blowers. This is this is tops on my list. Number four, verse four says, we've been raised to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept, some translations say, reserved in heaven for you. So in the showroom of heaven, there is a body that's reserved for you. And one day you will retrieve it. And I think that's glorious news. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, just think about it. Imperishable means you'll never perish. You'll, you'll never die. Immortal's another way of saying it. He says that in another place that way, or not Peter, but Paul. Undefiled. No sin. Not even a capability of sinning. You just can't do it because it's not in your nature. It's not in your three-part being. Unfading. In other words, your beauty will never fade. You'll be as beautiful as you were uh, today as you were yesterday. Amen? No fading, okay? I notice stuff like that. I'm like, you know, we all care about our appearance. Let's not just kid one another. We look in the mirror and we wish we looked a little bit different. Well, one day, you're going to look just like you in perfect form. I don't know how he's going to pull it off, but he said he would. All right, so let me wrap all of this up by letting you guys know that we're getting baptized today what to expect when we get into the water. We'll go about waist deep. I'll stand next to you as we face the beach. I'll put my hand on your back and ask you a question. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you born again? If you say yes, you're going to get dunked, okay? And you can put your hand on your own nose if you want to, or I will do it as a a free provision of this here deal, you know. (laughs) I won't pinch your nose, but I'll put my, I'll cup my hand over your nose. It seems to work. I haven't drowned anybody yet. So if you say, yes, I've been born again. Jesus is my Lord. Um, I'm going to lower you into and out of the water with the following words. I baptize you into Jesus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That keeps everybody happy. No discussion, no debate. We got both bases covered. Jesus said over in Matthew 28, baptized in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And over in Mark 16, he said, just make sure you're baptized. He doesn't emphasize it as much. Amen. Y'all understand the controversy I'm trying to, to dodge here. I baptize you into Jesus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed Pastor Scott's message, The Doctrine of Baptisms. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 1030 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Pastor Scott's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.